from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odustulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Baha'i Perspective is a radio program that presents a Baha'i perspective on life through interviews. If you want information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you're welcome to visit the website www.baha'i.org, that's B-A-H-A-I dot O-R-G, or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. Today I'm playing a telephone interview with Nosrat Scott, a Baha'i from Iran. In Iran, Nasrat had to suppress her desire to express her belief freely. So after university, she decided to leave Iran for the United States. She was included in Dan Rather's book, The American Dream. I started the interview by asking Nasrat to describe where she grew up and what was it like growing up there. I was born in the southern part of Iran. The name of the city is Yazd, Y-A-Z-D. And that area was little bit on the fanatic side with Muslim religion. And since uh, my family, we were Baha'is, my father decided to move to Tehran because he had five girls, and when they get older, they all had to wear veils, and he disagreed with that. How old were you, Nasrat, when you moved? I was about seven years old. And do you remember anything in regards to the fanaticism toward you as a Baha'i in Yazd? I really, what I know, and I don't know how, I know we children knew that we should not use the Baha'i greeting with just everybody or relatives even. The Baha'i greeting is what? Allahu Abha means God, the most great. Mm -hmm. And we had to just use regular salam means hello. I see. Everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really cannot ever say how we knew it, but we knew it. I see. That I know. And on Friday mornings in Iran, or like Sunday here, we had our Sunday school classes for Baha'is. Uh, we had to be careful, and they would curse us, you know. Mm-hmm. It was not everybody, but there were some people who would do that. But it must have been bad enough that your father felt he had to move. My father could see the future, especially because he was very much against his daughters wearing veil. I see. And uh, he said he is proud of his daughters, and they should be proud of what they are also. Mm. And he took that veil as, you know, hiding yourself, there is something wrong, or God forbid you want to do something secretly. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, he was putting it. So he really moved to Tehran, and in Tehran, which is capital, even there he could go to an area that still was fanatic. But he chose to go to the northern part of Iran that were more Europeans and Americans and uh, even Christians from Armenia or Syria, they were there. So that was much more open and freedom, you know. Mm -hmm. So it was not very much developed, that area, but was very much free. So we settled there in Tehran, which was good, and then we went to school. Of course, there was not always heaven either. Little by little, would come here and there. 
what was better than Yan. So that's how we started. Mm-hmm. And how? What? And what was life in Tehran like? The life in Tehran, as I said, it was going on. My father had business in Yaz. He moved it to Tehran, and he continued. And we were going to school. And again, we were always, we had to be careful. It was not that there was freedom. We could not use word Baha'i in the school. We could not use it in the street. Uh, with neighbors, we had to be careful. We, we, you get used to it little by little. It is hard, but we always know this is what it is. Mm-hmm. We cannot do anything else. Uh, what I... Really, one of my memories is, for my own self, it is when I was uh, ninth grade, I clearly remember, and uh, in Iran, the school and high school for boys and girls are separate or not together. Mm-hmm. In ninth grade, I was sitting, you know, on those benches, we were three or four of us sitting, and there were, you know, all the class, three or four sitting behind me. And all of a sudden, one day, the girl beside me, behind me, I heard her saying, uh, she said, I'm going to kill her. Kill her. <laughs> she meant me. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I pretended I didn't hear. And the girl next to her said, oh, no, I won't let you. I will kill her. Mm-hmm. So I heard both of them. I didn't say anything because I could not. Mm-hmm. They, they thought they were going to do good if they kill a Baha'i, and we learn not to say anything. Mm. Just be quiet, pretend you didn't hear it, pretend they are not talking about you, and most of the time it works, as it did that day. Mm. But can you imagine the feeling? Sure. Yeah. Every day we know maybe something like this will happen. Mm-hmm. Every day. Mm. And... Uh, when you on Monday on Friday, I'm sorry, on Friday mornings when we were going to our high Sunday school, sometimes they would run after us or curse us mm-hmm. or throw something or dirty water. Mm. Uh, but still, we were told you don't say anything, you turn back, don't turn back, you don't run, you don't stop, just keep going, pretend this is not for you, and keep going. Mm. They're gonna stop. They're gonna realize. You don't pay attention, and a lot of time that works also. Yeah. But I have to say that many of them were very nice people, very kind, very good. But you know, as every society, there were some really not nice. They thought we were bad people. They thought because we believe after Prophet Muhammad, another prophet has come, as they are even waiting for it, mm-hmm. even for the last day or return of Christ. Mm-hmm or Messiah, so, and our teachings are exactly like all other religions, believing in the same one God, be kind, be nice, be honest, the golden rule all over. Mm-hmm. So just because of the name of religion, uh, they were not treating us right way. A lot of time teachers were not treating us right. We, most of the time, really, we didn't get the grades that we deserved. But you learn that this is okay. That's all right. Mm-hmm. Then I remember my nephew was about seven years old. And in the morning, he went downstairs, just in these uh, little corner stores, to buy milk for himself. And he had some change in his hand to buy milk. And 
we were in the fourth floor and there was no elevator. He ran upstairs on the fourth floor all the way, the steps, and he was crying and he threw the money and he said, the man doesn't give me milk because I'm a Baha'i. Mm. So that is another thing because he's a little boy. Right. It really stays with you for the rest of your life. Sure. But still, none of us said anything, none of us did anything. Fine. So we go to another store that they give us mm. milk or what they need to buy. Yeah. Well, you have to make it with the society the way you can. Right. Now, your father, what was his, what was his business? My father was a merchant. Mm-hmm. He had the same business in Yaz, mm-hmm. you know, where we were, and then he moved it to Tehran mm-hmm. in this section that they call it Bazaar, and he was working at. Yes, his neighbors sometimes gave him hard time, too, mm. for religion. And he had to be very careful. Can you imagine? You're making a living. Right. And the name of religion is very, very sensitive. Yeah. We are right away are really recognized. Some people say, okay, they don't recognize you. How could they recognize? They really do instantly because we don't get involved with politics. We don't curse this and that. We don't do anything. We just try to be very careful and quiet and go about our own life. This is the group they recognize right away. They are Baha'is. They know right away we are Baha'is. Mm-hmm. Those who want to treat us wrong, they do. It's very easy for them. Sometimes they are even between members of family. We had a lot of Muslims between our own families. and mm-hmm. They could treat us and... My brother was beaten up. Mm-hmm. We went for summer vacation one year, and uh, well, as I said, they right away they realize you're behind. Mm-hmm. And for example, they don't want you to walk in certain areas, even believe it or not. Those days, some people, mm-hmm. or if you say something or do something, it's just a hatred there because they are brainwashed, mm-hmm. not because of what we do. Right. Brainwashed, they have different names, their names, their religion is Baha'is, so they are really bad. Mm-hmm. And if they talk to us, they realize, and it has happened, that, God, no, you are not bad. How come they say you are bad? Mm-hmm. But they beat up my brother almost to death. Broke her uncle, his uncle, I'm sorry, his um, head. And he was in bed, and in that area, they didn't have a still hospital or doctor. And my other brother had to go to the town and bring a doctor for him. Mm. And then they took him to the city of Tehran. Mm. But uh, these are the memories. which yeah. We still like Iran. We still love Iran. We're Baha'is. Mm-hmm. Baha'i, Iran is the birthplace of the Baha'i faith. Uh, we all really have all the respect for it and love it and we pray for it. And it's going to be a wonderful country one day. Yeah. It is now, too, but it's going to be better. Yes, right. Now, Nasrat, how did your father become a Baha'i? My grandfather, my father's father, date some other Baha'is, you know, approached him and they told him about the faith. And he very graciously and very fast accepted because he was always on the side of justice and love and unity 
my grandfather was known in his area. As if some people have problems, they have to go to him for justice. And if anybody has problem, go to him for kindness. Anything, you know, he was really known at his time in his area. So as soon as they brought him, they came to him with the teachings of Baha'i faith, he said, wow, this is what humanity needs. He joined the Baha'i faith and he raised his children as Baha'is, and of course my father was one of them. Mm. The story is that some people wanted to rob my grandfather's house after they realized he had joined the Baha'i faith. And uh, one day my father was about seven days, seven years old, was playing in the alley that they were living. And he heard two adult men walking there. Remember, there was no car, there was no bus. They were walking and they told each other, tonight we're going to rob this house. My father heard that as a little kid, mm. six, seven years old, and he ran inside and told his father that he heard these people saying that. And my grandfather was very much loved in that area and they knew he was very strong. He went upstairs on the roof. Those days, houses had roofs, so he would walk on the roof loud and say, okay, who's going to come rob my house tonight? Why don't you come now? Let me see you. And walk around his roof and say that loud. And of course, those days, again, the windows were open and people were, you know, could hear. And they realized something wrong has been done. So they called the elderly of the area uh, to come go knock on the door of my grandfather. And he answered them from the roof, said, what? They said, come down. They said, no, you tell me what you want. Who's coming tonight? Why don't they come right now? And these people tried and asked for forgiveness and asked him to come down. Nobody's going to do anything. So he came down. And as long as he was alive, I'm told, in that area, Baha'i faith, was and Baha'is were really a little bit safe and secure because Yaz has always been the city that they started treating Baha'is very bad. They had had a lot of killing Baha'is and just they would start and go on and on and on. Yeah. So that's my grandfather saved some of these riots yeah. in his area. This is another story. Yeah. They said, you get used to, you understand. This is why really one of the reasons, one of the reasons I left Iran, came to America, was that I was kind of tired to always be quiet about the things that you love the most. Mm -hmm. You know you're not a bad person. You know your teachings are not bad. You're not following anything wrong. But you're being hated because of that, and for no reason. They don't, they cannot tell you why. So that's why I tried as soon as I could to leave mm -hmm. my country. And I have not been back since. Yeah. And I don't think I can be back. Yeah. Now, how old were you when you left? Oh, I'm very old. <laughs> I've been, I finished University of Tehran when I came to this country. You can say how old I was, and then I have been here. More than 30 years. What did you study at university? I studied economics and um, I 
kind of international trade, you know, I like those topics. And I came and I came here, I wanted to come to for freedom of religion was really very, uh, I couldn't believe how much you can be free in this country for religion. I really could not, it is that much. And then, of course, I loved to learn English language. I wanted to learn it in American accent, which I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I keep my accent. And I wanted to go for higher education, so mm. I did. And after I came, I brought a lot of my family, my mom, my dad, my sister, they came here. Mm. Two of my sisters went to Australia. So you got your bachelor's degree in Iran and then went to the United States? I came to the United States and then I went to, um, I had to learn some English. I went to New York University to learn English and then I went to some other schools in New York was all of them. To City College and then Long Island University, Fordham University for my master's degree and PhD. So I kept busy, sometimes working, sometimes going to school. Right. Then traveling from New York, going to California, yeah. then to Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama, and now I'm in South Florida. So it must have been, well, let me ask you, was it a hard decision to decide whether to leave your home country and go to a foreign land? You mean to come to America? Yeah. Was that a hard decision for you? It um, really wasn't. Uh, it does, uh, you know, when you don't know the language and you don't know where you are going that far, and it is not, it was not the way it is now. Telephone or email or all these things, and you are living. It is, but um, sometimes you have to say, okay, we, what am I going to choose, this or that? Mm-hmm. And, was, and I it, chose to to leave and come here. Yeah, it was bad enough there too. It, it was, you know, some people can take it more. I had taken it as much as I could. It was right. the end of my patience for that. Sure. Every day, every single day, even maybe the, that day is going to be okay, but you never know. And the reason is your belief, your religion, that you know its teachings are perfect. Mm-hmm. No one can say anything is wrong and the teachings of Baha'i faith. You don't want to accept it, fine. But there is nothing really wrong with it. Everything is perfect. Mm-hmm. Be nice, be kind, be honest, be good, be believe and um, accept and respect every religion, every race, every nationality, equality of man and woman, education for all, justice for all. I mean, where in the world we can find, you know, better than this? Then mm-hmm. being killed or being hated, being beaten up because of believing in these wonderful teachings that the world needs it and they are realizing it step by step uh, I, I could not find any justice on that or reason you know mm-hmm. I, I really could not take it no more right and what was your first stop in the United States I came to Yonkers New York <laughs> <laughs> and what was yeah. your first impression of a landing in Yonkers New York I really could not, as I said, I was going to New York University from Yonkers, and I was taking sometimes my Baha'i prayer book or something, and I, I thought I had to hide it, because if people see it, they're going to kill me. Mm-hmm. I thought they're going to kill me even in the airport. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I was saying, oh, well, no. And then I realized, no, I'm totally, totally free. I remember in New York University when I was, we had to give a talk because
because they wanted us to practice our language, how much we are learning. They said, give a talk on any topic you want. I thought I want to give a talk about Baha'i faith. And I told my teacher, and she said, okay. I came home and I thought, oh, no. I, I, she won't let me talk about it. The next day I went there and I said, listen, I want to talk about Baha'i faith, my religion. I said, oh, she said, okay, go ahead, talk about that. Hmm. I mean, it was following week. Again, I came home. <laughs> I thought she doesn't know what she says. I'm going to prepare myself, work hard, and when I start, they're going to tell me don't, because I had never been able in Iran to talk about Baha'i faith, tell anyone in the school, in the university, nowhere. So for the third time, I went to this poor teacher, and I told her, listen, I'm going to talk about Baha'i faith. It is a religion. It is my... And she looked at me, and she just made a face and said, you already told me. How many times you asked me? And I say, yes, okay. Then I just got quiet. And then I prepared myself, and the day that I had to talk about it, I was really in tears. I couldn't believe they couldn't let me finish talking about, you know, my topic that was behind it. But I did, and I finished it, and nobody said anything. <laughs> so these are the things that you don't believe. Right. You know, there are different right. cultures, different treating people are different ways. Yeah. There's a lot of learning there. Mm-hmm. So you got your master's in New York? I'm in New York, yeah. And then where where did you get your PhD? I'm sorry? Where did you get your PhD? I was in the really middle of it, in Fordham University. I finished all my courses, but I was I finished my almost thesis too, but then my father passed away and totally my life changed. You know, you sometimes you have to accept what comes. Mm-hmm. We had to move. And I moved to California then. And you stayed in the middle. And why did you have to move to California when your father died? My father wanted to go to California. And I went there to find a place and prepare a place and t- take him there. But his destiny was that he went to his next life in New York and while I was in California. Oh, my. And I had to come back for things. So, you know, the families and our side, I I had no visa yet. I had to start finding visa. I had to start looking for a job. Anyway, but uh, again, I have no complaint about it. Mm -hmm. I just agree things went best it could. And I was happy. So you went to... And I'm very happy today, too. (laughs) And you went to California. I went to, I was to California, yes. There I started looking for a job, and I found a job. And mm-hmm. I stayed there seven years, too. Mm-hmm. Where did you work? There was a place called Pacific Asian American Center. was working with all kind of, all really, many different uh, nationalities. And believe it or not, they, they were looking for someone who is not prejudiced at all, to work at this center as a job developer and job placement. And when they, a newspaper man, in fact, interviewed me, he said, you know what, you are the one that this center needs because you have no prejudice towards no one. So he called them and said, I have someone for you, and that was it. I got the job at Pacific Asian American Center in Santa Ana. South California, mm-hmm. and then from there I went work 
for a bank. We did that. Now, so, now, why did you leave that place for the I, bank? After I got married, and my husband was from Birmingham, Alabama, mm. and he wanted to go there, and he had a, because he was a cost engineer, and they would call him back again, so California went there, but they had laid off a lot of workers. They never called him back, so we stayed there for 20 months. What caused you to leave the Pacific Asian American Center for the bank? Pacific Asian American Center, the level of pay was very low. Ah, okay. Uh, but I still, I worked there three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Uh, then bank yeah. was, you know, better right. for me then. I understand. And, you know, you need to make the living. Right, of course. Yeah, you can. I love the Pacific Asian American Center. Yeah. I was with all Samoan, Laotians, Koreans, Vietnamese, you name it, from anywhere, any country. Yeah. They could come, and uh, right. I, I, I was really happy there, but yeah. then I had to go to the bank. Yeah. And so then you relocated to Alabama. That's correct. And what did you do when you got to Alabama? I, in um, Alabama, I didn't work too much. I was teaching Persian language. I did that in California, too, in the college. I did that in California, too, in Orange County. They call it, I think, um, Coastline College, something like that. Local, the county college, I was teaching Persian language. And then I did the same thing a little bit in Alabama, in the University of Alabama in Birmingham. What I did in Alabama that I really liked, I had, we had a race unity celebration in, I remember even June 10th of 1984. And George Wallace signed the race unity proclamation and of course, eight ten mayors signed, and then everybody was excited because George yeah. Wallace had signed it. Everybody, the whole media knew it. <laughs> it was taken to the radio, was taken to TV. All the newspapers in that area wrote the Alabama magazine. It's now Birmingham magazine. Mm-hmm. They interviewed me, wrote about that in detail, and. Mm-hmm. It really was very good, and after that, uh, we had that in a hall in University of Alabama. Mm-hmm. Then the one of the vice president of the university told me, you know, any time, any hall, any program you have, we can give you a free hall, any one of them you want. Wow. Because they liked my programs. I had World Peace Day, World Religion Day, just all the, you know, good things. Why did the folks like them so much? Because they have never had these kind of things in Alabama, in Birmingham, Alabama. Mm. I thought I wanted to make the dream of Dr. King to come true, that one day a black child, girl, and a black boy are going to hold hands and no one is going to bother them. I wanted that to be seen that time, and it really was seen. And that is why everybody started talking. All the papers in that area wrote about it. Mm. So nobody was really doing this before you came. Nobody was. Nobody was not doing it. It was so. It was so interesting. One morning I was watching TV and I heard they saying, "Oh, there is going to be a program 
I think it was P, my peace, peace uh, world peace program or something. And uh, it is free for everybody. They can come and for more information, you call this number. I grabbed the pen and I started writing the number and I realized it's my own number. <laughs> no, I was really the only one doing that. And I was told, in fact, by a judge of the court, they told me, we want you to run for the house and we promise you're going to win. Because I was writing a lot of letters today to about this thing. People were communicating with me. And because I was not working, I was doing all these kind of things. People have to come out, have to see each other, have to hear about each other. They really accept one another if they see one another. And uh, these we are all children of one God, like different fruits. We look different, so what? That's beauty of the world. God wanted his garden to look beautiful. Mm. So... And, and people started looking different, acting different, all these. The city halls, when I was going, okay, write your room, sign uh, proclamations. They were all calling each other, come, let us take picture together. We are signing. They were proud of it. Mm. They called their own local um, newspaper to write about it, to put their pictures in the paper. All of a the sudden, there was, they had a topic, a subject, and that was unity and oneness. And, and peace, isn't that beautiful? Yeah. So I was there really in one year that I was then. I received uh, a, a big award from uh, George Wallace from the mayor. I was not expecting all of a sudden in the mail I received this thing and they heard I was leaving. They said they're going to miss me and I, mm. you know, I, they wished I would stay there and continue my activities. I made a, uh, what do you call it, something I now remember, in the public library, I had the culture of Iran, I think, you know, on sh the show, and I put a lot of things. Constantly I was busy doing things, how we can get to know each other better. Mm. Then we can feel better about each other. Yeah. We are pieces of one whole thing. Um, we have short time to live, uh, even if 100 years, <laughs> comparing <laughs> to the life of the world, right. uh, planet, is not yeah. really long. So no. we, might make, we must make the best out of this time that we are here. Yeah. And that's my philosophy. Yeah. This is why I run a lot, constantly busy, and I say, <laughs> one day I'm not going to be able to do anymore. Mm. Either I'm going to be older or sick or whatever I cannot do. At least I can say I did when I could, yeah. and that's what I want to do. Yeah. So you were in Alabama for only one year? Twenty months, exactly. Mm -hmm. So not quite two years. Uh, yes, and then I really had uh, five of these huge programs there. Mm. Uh, and another thing that we had, there was a famine at that time in Ethiopia, Africa, and then we did a fundraiser. The University of um, Alabama in Birmingham, they asked me if I could help the student, uh, foreign students department to have this fundraiser. So we put plans together. I invited and that, you know, a lot of things. And we did a fundraiser. And the photographer from uh, George Wallace's office 
came to this program and took some slides because two weeks later, or even exactly 12 days later, I think, George Wallace was attending Southern Governor's Gathering. Few governors of the Southern states were getting together. They were trying to tell each other what is happening in our state. And do you believe the slides from that program were shown in that meeting to, you know, show that these are the things that are happening in Alabama? And I, anytime I remember that, I still have those slides. Mm. The, the gentleman, the photographer, gave me back all of those. Mm. And when I look at it, I say, can you imagine a state could show off or, you know, prove yeah. Good things are happening in that yeah. state yeah. because of this wonderful, simple program. Yeah. We all got together. We just did it something that we are helping others. The, and that was for a student, that mm, for a student department, all foreigners. And I, then they were happy. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the office of the Red Cross, they invited, and they, again, they gave me a plaque for that. Uh, I just like to do things for humanity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Any place I go. Yeah. So you had to leave Alabama. Why? I had to leave Alabama because, again, um, we were looking for jobs. Unfortunately, Alabama, hopefully, is better now. That time really was not good job-wise. And my husband could not find a good job. So mm. we moved here. We had some Baha'i friends here in South Florida, and they told us to come here, stay with them a few days, and see if there's more chance here. Mm-hmm. So we came here, stayed a week with a friend, and we realized, yes, South Florida is more, you know, transit, and there's a lot coming and going. is better. So we stayed here. We moved here, and then we stayed here. So why having a transient population was a good thing. Here is a lot of movement. Any business, you know, is oh, work better if you uh, have private business. Work. Okay, work is good. And government office or any, you know, any yeah. businesses is right. a lot more jobs. Got it. Yes. Than in Birmingham. Right. I understand now. Hopefully now in Birmingham is good. Uh, also, I was even talking to the mayor of Birmingham, Mr. Arrington that time was saying we have to do something in them to mm. create something people want to come there to see it like tourist area mm-hmm. we have to create something for tourists in Birmingham and he was telling me okay think about it come <laughs> tell us <laughs> but I really you know could not do that I had yeah. to move out yeah we can we can every place we can do something good yeah yeah so what did you do in South Florida South Florida, when I came, again, I went to back. I tried to, to get a teaching job, but they wanted all the transcripts and everything was taking too long. I worked in the bank again. Mm-hmm. I went to the bank. Mm-hmm. Are you still working at the bank? I'm not working in the bank. No, when my, my mom was living with us, and when she got sick that she needed help, I quit my job, mm-hmm. and I care of my mother and then she went to her next life mm. and then I didn't work for a while and uh, now I am again working working 
with some schools and I'm going to have a job as translator Persian English with a company. Mm. Now, I understand you got interviewed by Dan Rather. Can you explain? Yes, I was. Can you explain that for us? Yes, I. when I came to here, again, I, you know, I cannot sit quiet. I have to do activities. I went joined the Interfaith Council of Greater Hollywood, um, which is in South Florida. And I was a member of this for a few months, and they told me, because of my suggestions and, you know, maybe my energy, <laughs> they told me I should be vice president of programming and put some programs together, because they had program every month, but to me, really, the program was not fulfilling. And they had, was wonderful, but, you know, we could do better to me. And every program, there were some, mostly were members of Jewish faith and Christian faith, different denominations. So um, two, three rabbis and two, three ministers, fathers from different churches, they would speak or say prayers, which is great. But I didn't see any education in that, anything that, you know, gives benefits. We could get more. Then I I was suggesting we should get children and youth to do something and let them learn, let them practice, not to be shy, practice to talk, or if they have some talents, you can encourage them. And they liked the idea, so finally they said, you must be... Um, vice president of programming. Mm-hmm. So I was, and I put some programs together that they could not believe when they were attending. They couldn't believe this is their own program. And other areas, uh, other groups, they started coming to ours or asked us um, to invite them or have our programs in their centers. And they said Interfaith is experiencing new, you know, life. Mm-hmm. So they told me, I never forget this rabbi who said, uh, if we want interfaith to grow, we must make Nasrat the president. <laughs> so they made me president. And I start, stay, uh, still I had my own ideas. Let us get Muslims here, let us get Buddhists, let us get Hindus, Zoroastrians, Sikhs, everybody. We have to get people here. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't believe all of the sudden the interfaith had become, you know, all kind of religions, the youth they were coming, we were asking them questions, they answered us in their own understanding, in their own level, youth from high school, and all different religions, everybody. Or perform, it was so beautiful. Hindus, Sikhs, can you imagine? Mm-hmm. Everybody. And Native Americans, they were involved. So it was really good. So it was in a local newspaper about me being president, and I had uh, two of my vice presidents. One was a Jewish rabbi, and one was a Muslim leader. Uh, It was in the local paper, and apparently at the same time, I met with Randan Rader. That's what he said. He had uh, sent a note to all the CBS affiliates that if you come across anything that matches the topic of his book, which is The American Dream, to let him know. And apparently someone from that CBS in Miami sent the newspaper to Dan Rather. 
And then one morning I received a phone call that uh, they wanted to interview me for Dan Ladder's book. Of course, at first I couldn't believe it <laughs> because uh, I thought, where could Dan Ladder find me? But then I realized, yes, it was Dan Ladder. Mm. And I said yes, and I asked the high national office also if I could go for this interview. We have to be careful with Baha'is, especially Baha'is from Iran. Mm. We have to be careful for the sake of the Baha'is in Iran. Mm. And they allowed me to do that. Mm. So that's why. And uh, I am the first person, if you have seen the book. What does the future hold for you, Nasrat? A lot of wonderful things. I'm very much looking forward for this job that I am going to have. I am the president of United Nations chapter in our county. We are having some wonderful programs for that. Mm-hmm. In fact, we are preparing right now for September, World Peace Day, uh, in a college here, university here. And uh, I really believe people have to see each other, hear from each other, about each other, get together. We have to get rid of this hatred, mm-hmm. prejudice. We have to tell all the children they're wonderful. We have to tell every girl and boy you are equal. We have equal rights. We have to tell everyone you have equal rights for education and you build your own future. Uh, a lot of good things we can do. Mm. And if we do, we feel good and the result is going to be good. Mm. And it's not against any law or any religion. Religions all believe in the same God. They all believe in the same wonderful teachings. And we all are looking for world peace. Mm. And the majority of the people of the world believe in some religion. So if we can make, bring understanding between religions, the world peace comes very easily. Mm. Unfortunately, most of the problems of the world is because of the name of religion. Just the name of religion is different, therefore it's bad. Mm. There is no such a thing. Different nationalities are not bad and different races are not bad. If we think like that, that we think is wrong. But understanding and communication are really keys to the solutions, Mm. to the the problems. And uh, I always remember Tolstoy who has said, also is a uh, philosopher, Russian philosopher, mm-hmm. who learned about the teachings of Baha'u'llah, became Baha'i. He said, he writes in his letters to Bertrand Russell that the key to all the problems of humanity is in the hand of the prisoner of Akko. And Baha'u'llah was the one who was prisoner of Akko. So teachings of Baha'u'llah is for peace, unity, oneness, understanding, communication, service to one another, and then happiness, peace of mind. I hope we all think more clear about existence, even if those who don't want to think about God. We really are here a few days, few months, few years. And we want to do something good, or at least don't do something bad. (laughs) 
And the golden rule is true. If we don't want something to be done to us, believe me, we should not do to others. Mm. It's not other way around. We all have feelings. Mm -hmm. We can create peace for ourselves and for others if we follow the rule. Don't hurt. That's bad. I love Iran and I love people of Iran, but I have been hurt, and yeah. that still I remember. I don't hate anyone, but right. I remember that. Right. I am. I think twice if I want to go back to Iran for a visit. Even right. I should not be that. That's my my country, yeah. and I love Persian culture, Persian language, Persian food, Persian language, poetry, everything. Mm. Um, but I have to stay here and say wonderful and pray for it and say I can't go there. Yeah. We are all human beings and we have one creator and creator has told us to be good to each other in every religion. And if we don't follow, it's exactly like when you buy a car or TV and you get that little booklet to tell you how to do, how to work with this radio. Mm-hmm or with this car, mm-hmm. buyer's manual, right? Right. If we don't follow that, we ruin the car, we ruin the TV. Right. God has created us, or God has given us the blueprint how to live with each other, mm. how to treat each other. If mm. we don't do it, we mess it up. Yes. Life can be much happier than it. Yeah. Well, Nasra, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Nosrat Scott, a bi emigre from Iran who now lives in South Florida. For a copy of this and other interviews, you can go to the website www.abahaiperspective.com. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org, where you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. Did you 
side by side This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station.